Hallelujah. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray together real quick. Thank you, Lord. Father, we worship you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Give us ears to hear today what you're saying. Come on, just pray that, Lord. Give me ears to hear. Change my life today. In your precious name. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we give Jesus praise this morning? Hallelujah. Well, if you came to church asleep, you should be awake now. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. You know, it's exciting to see all that the Lord's doing in our church. It's exciting to see what's happening. I'm glad that you're a part. I'm glad that you are tuned in, that you're a part, whether you're in the building. I know we have folks that join us faithfully online who can't be in the building, but it's good to see you in church this morning. I'm glad I don't have to look out to empty pews or, uh, you know, COVID in COVID world, I had to look out at pews full of bags, grocery bags. So for those of you that were around there and all the grocery outreach know what I'm talking about. We had every pew in the building was on the main floor, at least was filled with grocery bags. And every, every Sunday we'd have our worship team up here. The only people in the building was our worship team and, and my wife and I, and we in our media crew, our pit crew running all the things up top and look out into the crowd and all I'd see is grocery bags. <laughs> all who are hungry, come to the table of the day. That's what it felt like. We're in a series called The Distinguishing, or I'm sorry, The Day of His Glory. I'm preaching a message today called The Distinguishing Marks, but we're in a series, The Day of His Glory, and we've been taking a look at being people of his glory, being people of revival. The Lord wants to awaken you. He wants to move in you. You are, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm getting just a little bit of feedback. I don't know if it's me or what, but I, uh, I want you to today, I want you to hear the word of the Lord, and I want you to dive in. I want you to be people of revival, people who are contending for revival in the Great Lakes region. You know, uh, when we contend for the presence of the Lord, you know, it's, I, th I would venture to say, I had someone tell me uh, recently, well, you know, I preach the word. You know, they were going on about how in their meetings they preach the word. And I said, well, I don't think that there's a preacher who would tell me they don't. I think, I think every church and every pastor would say that they believe in the presence of the Lord and they preach the word. I think all those things, because we, we check all the boxes, but this isn't about checking a box. This isn't about just checking another box or singing a song or, or preaching a good message. This is about being passionate for the Lord and having, being a place of His glory. Being a, being a place of His glory. And we've tasted, of, we've tasted of this, but the Lord wants to do more. Tell somebody next to you, He wants to do more. He wants to do something greater. He wants to do more in your life than what we've already experienced. If what we've experienced is all that God has, we're in trouble. But we're talking about the creator of the universe, the one who spoke and the worlds came into existence. 
We're talking about the one who can save and redeem your family. We're talking about the one who can shut the bars down and shut the strip clubs down and his presence invade a region to, to such a degree, to such a level that, that people say, of man, you, you pull into that city of Akron and the presence of the Lord is strong there. And they, they come under conviction of their sin and that they're changed by the power of God. It's possible, friend. It's absolutely possible. We look in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, we see in Acts where entire cities and regions were overwhelmed by the presence of the Lord, and the whole city brought out their, their witchcraft. The whole city brought out their, their, their garbage and their sin and burned it, burned it before the Lord. Uh, it's still possible today. I said it's still possible today. Isn't it, isn't it likely? Now, I'm just, I'm just going to venture on out there. But isn't it likely that the, that the same people who are burning cities across America for political reasons, isn't it possible that they bring out their sin and burn it before the Lord? Isn't it possible instead of destroying cities that the glory of God could invade a city and transform it? And it's no longer about politics. It's about His glory. It's about the Word of God. I believe, I just call me crazy, but I believe in the Word of God and the power of God, and I know it's possible. We've seen it. We've seen it. We've seen it before, and He can do it again. God longs to pour out His Spirit. He longs. He longs to pour out His Spirit on people who are hungry and thirsty. It just takes people who say, God, I'm hungry for you. God, I'm thirsty for you. I'm willing to lay aside my agenda. I'm willing to lay aside my, my, uh, my uh, reputation. <laughs> Come on now. It's, I'm, I'm willing to pay the price. I'm willing to pay the price. In Acts chapter 2, we find people who were willing to pay the price. Corinthians tells us that 500 people received the invitation to the upper room, but 120 were there on the day of Pentecost. I want to take a look today at the distinguishing marks of a move of God. Jonathan Edwards has a great message on this, and I would encourage you to get it. Uh, you can find it online. You can Google it. There's a book uh, with the message in it as well that's been expounded upon, but it's called The Distinguishing Marks of the True Move of the Spirit of God. Long sermon title. But that's what it was, the distinguishing marks of a true move of the Spirit of God. I would encourage you to get that and read it. I've preached elements of it before. I'm not going to preach it today, but it is a great response. Edwards was faced in the height of revival at the Great Awakening. Uh, you know, you've got Whitfield preaching and ministering. The, the, the stories of this preacher if you've never studied George Whitfield and the Great Awakening, I would encourage you to do so. But, but it was said of his meetings, he would not use a sound system. But he would preach out in the open air and 1,000, 30,000, when we say thousands, like the numbers of 30, 40,000 people would gather to hear him preach without a sound system. The Lord would amplify his voice. And as he would preach, it was like shock waves going out across the crowd. People, the people who had climbed up into trees to hear him preach would fall out of the trees under the power as he preached. We're talking, 
we're talking about power. Revival had hit. That was, it was moving from brooding to exploding, if you were here for that first message. Going into an explosion of power is what happened. So I'd encourage you to, to study. But, but this, this caused a stir. Actually, when Whitfield first started preaching, uh, just a historical background, when Whitfield first started, he started in London, and the church that he preached out, uh, they, they didn't like his message. He preached and drove four people mad in the service. They didn't like it. <laughs> Literally insane asylum mad. I've, uh, we've seen that happen. I know that that happens. So people, you know, they get driven mad by the power of God. They don't, they're resistant and driven mad. So they locked the church doors and said, you can't come back. And so he came to the Americas, and, and revival began to spread, and the, and the colonies uh, in America, and, and, and Edwards was the pastor in Northampton, Massachusetts at that time, and he was getting ridiculed by pastors, I'll give you the background of the story and why, why he wrote this message, but he was getting ridiculed by the people because uh, of all the things that were happening in his services. Edwards was not a demonstrative preacher. He was not someone, uh, you wouldn't go to a traditional Pentecostal church and find Edwards there. That's not who he was. He was one of those guys that would stand in the lectern, if you've seen the old lecterns, he would stand in a, in a lectern and read his sermons, word for word. But the power of God would fall as he'd read those messages, and people would fall out of their pews under conviction, they would uh, run to the altar and, and fall on the floor. There was jerking and shaking and laughing and all these things happening. And Edwards didn't give altar calls. That wasn't a thing until later. Uh, that, that wasn't a, altar calls came with Charles Finney's ministry. So this was, this was a very different uh, outpouring. It was very different than what these traditional churches, liturgical churches, were used to. And they were ridiculing Edwards and his ministry. What are you doing? What's happening? Why are you making all this happen? And, and he responded with the distinguishing marks of a true move of God. And it's based on 1 John chapter 4. I'm not going to preach that message today. I'm just setting you up. You need to get it. It's a powerful message. I'm going to take a look at Acts chapter 2 and give you my own message today. From Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had fully come... They were all together with one accord in one place, and suddenly, everybody say suddenly. <laughs> suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began, you're getting this, and they, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Amen. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude, say, came together. Came together. Uh -huh. And they were confused. <laughs> because everyone heard them speak in his own language, and they were all, say, amazed. They were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are, are we not all who speak? The, these who speak Galileans, and, and now we hear each one in our own language in which we were born, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, 
and Egypt and the parts of Libya, joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabs, and we all hear them speaking in our own tongues. And then they're declaring the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed. Notice the theme there. They were confused. They were amazed and marveled. Now they're amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this mean? (laughs) Well, if you'd been paying attention for the past three years, you'd know what this meant. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice, and he said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Heed my words. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. It's 9 a.m. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. On my men servants, my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Let's skip down. Verse 33. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. Who was pouring out? Jesus was pouring out this which you now see and hear. True. <laughs> and then, 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 then in, verse, then in verse 37, it says, When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, he, he preached a long message that day. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Woo, Jesus, he preached a long message that day. And they were, they, they, they were even, they were so convicted, they were preaching back at him. <laughs> <laughs> they were under such conviction while he's preaching. We, what, what, what do we need to do to be born again? And he's, he preaches back at them. And they keep on going. And he keeps going. And he keeps going. Have you ever been in church where you're like, preacher, just stop preaching. I need to respond. I just, I'm under conviction. Would you just stop? I need to get to the altar. I need to respond. That's what was happening. They were so, they were such a mess. This was, this was great church. And uh, he, he, kept, he kept at it. And 3,000 souls were added to them that day. Verse 42. And they continued. Everybody say continued. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. 
And all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. That is the model for church right there. If you want to know how do you do church, right there it is. Acts chapter 2 is the model. So I want to I unpack this a little bit. Signs or distinguishing marks of a move of God. The first thing that we see here in Acts chapter 2 is it came suddenly. There was, in verse 2, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven. You know, it was, it was suddenly in the moment. We say that all the time. God showed up suddenly. And yet we know that this is, this is also the preparation of man. There was somebody, there was people waiting in the upper room for the promise of the Father. The moment came suddenly. The preparation took time. The moment of God's outpouring always catches us by surprise. It's always greater. It's always more demonstrative. It's always uh, catching us off guard. But there is always people who will prevail in prayer waiting for the promise of the Father. There is always people at Celebration Church who are prevailing in prayer, waiting for the outpouring. And when he, when he comes and when he shows up, it seems like a suddenly moment. But he's declared it from the beginning of time. Isaiah 48.3 says, I have declared the former things from the beginning. They went forth from my mouth and I caused them to hear it. But suddenly I did them. And so the Lord declares it. He, he speaks to us about it. He had told his disciples this day was coming. Wait in Jerusalem for the outpouring, the promise of the Father. He told them this day was coming. And they were waiting in the upper room for 10 days. They had been waiting for the promise to be poured out. And the promise had come suddenly. If you look at revivals over history, if you look throughout Scripture, suddenly God showed up. Welsh revival, suddenly God shows up. Azusa Street Revival, suddenly God shows up. The Great Lakes, or the, yeah, the Great Lakes Awakening, suddenly, the Great Awakening, suddenly God shows up. Suddenly, sinners are converted. Suddenly, your families are converted. Suddenly, those that you've been praying for and believing God for, suddenly, suddenly moments all around. Suddenly you see that family that you've believe, been believing for restoration and suddenly something happens. You can't put your finger on it. You can't quite describe it because it's divine in nature. But all you can say is suddenly it happened. Suddenly God came. Suddenly God showed up in the situation. Suddenly God showed up in my family. Suddenly God showed up in our community. Suddenly, and it caught us off guard. It caught us surprised by his glory, surprised by the power of God. And yet we knew it was coming all along. 
And yet we knew it. It was coming. It was coming. They knew the Welsh revival. They had been praying. The Joshua brothers had been praying. Seth Joshua talked about how he had been praying for God to raise someone up out of the coal mines that would be an evangelist to the, the country of Wales. And, and suddenly, this, this, this young man named Evan Roberts suddenly was captured by the Lord. Out of nowhere, suddenly, he began to have nightly visitations with the Lord where God, he said, would show up and speak to him face to face for hours in the night. Suddenly, he received a mighty outpouring, a mighty baptism in the Holy Spirit. He, he, be, he prayed this prayer, Lord, bend me. And suddenly, God showed up in his life, and it changed him forever. Suddenly, moments. That's what the Lord wants to do in your life. Suddenly, moments. He wants to catch you off guard. Suddenly, the Lord wants to do a work in your life. You know, I think about... Uh, you know, going back to the Welsh revival, I love the the Welsh revival stories. The bars, the the pubs were shutting down. They were they were closing the the bars because they didn't know they, there was no people to attend. <laughs> they were suddenly converted. What started as just a prayer meeting, what just what started as a simple prayer meeting with a bunch of young adults. What started as just a simple prayer meeting with young adults, God suddenly showed up. And people began traveling all over to, hear, to these meetings. And, and Evan Roberts began to travel the country of Wales. Revival was shaking a country. You know, we, we, look, we look at revivals like that, Azusa, and they had great impacts. They had great profound impacts looking at the New Testament and the, uh, the church of Ephesus and all that God did there. And we can go on in a Samaritan revival and all the things that throughout the New Testament, throughout history, where God has done incredible works. And we look at that and we say, oh, what a great work. But it starts with a suddenly moment. It starts with people who will pray and press into God and be hungry for him and wait for their suddenly are you willing to wait for your suddenly? You see, suddenly moments come out of nowhere. They come out of those, those times with the Lord where you're willing to press in and pursue Him and wait for Him. Suddenlies happen. Suddenlies happen when you put yourself in the way of allurement. We talk about putting yourself. Zacchaeus is a great example. He was, he was a sinful man. He was a tax collector, but he wanted to see Jesus, and he climbed up. Remember in that, climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Remember the song, the story, I mean? putting himself in the way of the master, putting himself in the way of Jesus, putting himself in the way of allurement. He had no idea what was about ready to happen to him. He had no idea that Jesus was going to stop and look up in that tree and say, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house. He had no idea of the suddenly moment that was coming his way. But he put himself innocently, naively in the path of Jesus that day. And Jesus saw him. 
That's how it works for you and I today. There's a, Jesus hasn't changed his methodology in 2,000 years. He hasn't changed how he reveals himself. It's still true for today. It just, it just takes people who are willing to climb up that tree. It just takes people who are hungry and desperate for him, who will at all costs say, Jesus, if it means being at another service, if it means praying again and again and again, if it means waiting at the altar for you, Jesus, whatever it takes, I'm not leaving until I have my suddenly moment. You know, I, I grew up in, in, a, in a Pentecostal church where, you know, we, we had this term, and, and maybe you've heard it before, but, but you would grab hold of the horns of the altars. I'm so thankful our altars don't have horns. It's, it sounds really messy. So I'm thankful that, that, can you imagine somebody getting hit by the power and falling on the altar? Never mind. So I'm thankful we don't have horns on our altars. But the concept is an Old Testament concept with the, the altar. You've got to grab hold of the altar until there's breakthrough. You would pray and pray in the Holy Ghost until breakthrough came. You would pray and press in until those suddenly moments came. And I can tell story after story of waiting and, and as, a, as a young child being in those prayer meetings, growing up in this Pentecostal church on Sunday night prayer meetings. And people would gather, and be, they, we weren't gathered around the altar corporately, but individually people around the sanctuary on their knees behind pews, praying to the Lord, seeking God for His, His outpouring in our church. And it would seem very quiet, very innocent, nonchalant moment for, for maybe 20, 30 minutes or however long. But then all of a sudden, the suddenly wind of the Holy Ghost would begin to blow through that church and what was simple, quiet, maybe even nonchalant prayers became passionate, tear-filled, joy-filled intercession as God began to move through that place and pour out His Spirit on the people present. He wants to do the same today. He hasn't changed who He is. He hasn't changed His methodology. He's looking for people who are hungry for Him. He's looking for people who will say, God, we will wait until the suddenly comes. But that means you've got to clear out your schedule. That means you've got to make room. It means that you've got to, you've got to be present when the moment's happening. You know, you, if you want to get, get in the moment with the Lord, you've got to be there when he's passing by. Zacchaeus had to find out where Jesus was and get in the tree before Jesus got there. It takes preparation. It takes stewardship. It takes ownership on your part. It's not haphazard. Let me, pr I promise you this. The suddenly moment is never haphazard. God never haphazardly does anything. He declares it from the beginning. He has said it from time past. And if you will align with what he has said, it's yours to have. It's that simple. It is that simple. While we cannot make revival happen, what God has promised the the, the ingredients of preparation are still the same. 
Will you humble yourself before the Lord? Will you turn to Him and pray and seek after Him? You know, this is why, why I like uh, what we're doing starting tonight with the, the harp and bowl. Again, it's just another opportunity for us to say, Lord, we're blocking out our time. We're blocking out our schedule. We're coming to seek you. This is what we're here for, to seek you and to pray, to worship and to pray until a suddenly moment happens. You say, well, how many, how, how much time do we need in preparation before the suddenly moment happens? Well, you need to go listen to last week's sermon. Because I preached on it last week, the preparation, the prepared heart. But how much, how much time does it take? How much, how much effort, how much energy does it take? Only the Lord knows. As you begin to pray, as you intercede, it's not about Him having to be moved. He already wants to move. God doesn't need you to move him. You're the one that needs the laxative. Don't get mad at me when I'm telling you the truth. And as you begin to pray and press in, God breaks up the fallow ground in your heart. You begin to break up that fallow ground. He begins to move on your heart, rain down righteousness, and all of a sudden, there's a suddenly moment. Out of nowhere, there's a suddenly moment for you. Number two is a spontaneous work. The Bible says that suddenly there came a sound from heaven. This was not the working of Peter and the disciples in the upper room. They did not have a sound machine and a, and a, and a flamethrower. Although that would be fun in church, don't get me wrong. If you don't repent, we've got a flamethrower that will help you repent. Now, this was not something that they contrived. They didn't make this happen. This was a spontaneous work from heaven. This was God's work. They couldn't force it. They couldn't make it. They couldn't work it up. They couldn't move their emotions enough. They couldn't sing the right songs enough. They couldn't have the right lights and strobes and all the things to make people feel moved enough for there to be wind and fire and the baptism in the Holy Ghost. I don't have a problem with all the other things that I've previously mentioned. However, it is the work of God. The outpouring of the Spirit revival is a spontaneous work from heaven. They were waiting in the upper room for 10 days. They had been there praying, seeking the Lord. What's this going to look like? What's the promise of the Father going to look like? How is it going to come? What's going to happen? What's going to take place for 10 days? And nothing, nothing was new. Nothing changed. Day one, day two, day three. People were coming and going. Day four, they heard the crowds outside in the hustle and bustle of the feast. But nothing was happening. But on day 10, the suddenly spontaneous work of God came. Personalities couldn't make it happen. Organizations couldn't take credit for it. The preacher couldn't say he, he did it. It was his sermon, his message. The worship leader couldn't take credit for it and say it was my song and the way I sang. It was none of that. It was absolutely none of that. It was the divine hand of God that Jesus began to pour out the Holy Spirit upon all those that were present that day. 
They were waiting, and their suddenly spontaneous moment happened. When revival comes, it is the spontaneous work of God. We pray, we prepare, we do our part, but it is the work of God. Another sign of a work of God is that it causes those present, and even those not present, to become very God-aware. It was interesting what began to take place in the crowd. If you see, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues. They became in that moment very God-aware. This was not just some ordinary windstorm These were not just ordinary tongues of fire. This was not just a bonfire in Jesus' house. This was something different. This was something unusual. And they began to receive and speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. When God shows up, there is no mistaking His presence. You don't have to wonder, is this emotion or hype? Or is this, what is this, what's happening? When God shows up, Everyone knows it. Everyone is aware. They may criticize it. They may speculate. They may say all the things in the world. But everyone knows when you're present, God is in the house. So much so that they were convicted by the message. They were pricked to the heart. They were convicted and cut to the heart, Acts 2.37, and asked, what shall we do? What shall we do to, what are we going to do with what you just said? You just preached. You just told us about Jesus. What do we do with this? They became very aware of God in that moment. Not only did they become aware of God, they became aware of their own sinfulness in the sight of God. All of a sudden, it wasn't business as usual. It wasn't church as usual. It wasn't feeling good about yourself and your sin as usual. They were convicted in their hearts and asked, what must we do to be saved? Fear came upon those present. Acts 2.43 says that awe or fear came upon every soul. They were aware of God. God was at work. Whether they understood it or not, they became God aware. There became a wind. This wind began to blow, blow through the house. The fire began to fall. God was blowing out the chaff and burning up the chaff. He was blowing out all of the issues of their life and consuming them with a new passion, giving them a new power. I referenced Jonathan Edwards earlier, but. Uh, talking about God aware, one of, one of his famous messages, this isn't his only message, but one of his famous messages, everyone knows, is sinners in the hands of an angry God. When he preached that again, imagine lectern, and he read, it was a, a message that he read from the lectern. It was no, no demonstrative, uh, you know, he wasn't me. He was reading from, from his, he was reading his sermon. And the, Bi- uh, the Bible, the history says those who were present said that people could hardly contain themselves as he read this message, as he preached his message, that they were, they, the, the quote was, they could hardly conduct themselves with decency. People were falling out of their pews. 
nail prints were left in the, in the pews, people grabbing, digging their nails into the seats in front of them. People were shrieking and crying out, having to lean themselves against the pillars of the church to stay upright because they were under so much conviction. They Literally, the presence of God came as he was preaching this sermon, and they, they were bent over, people were bending over under the weight of their sin. Presence of the Lord. When's the last time you came to church and were so convicted you were bent over because you were so convicted under the weight of his glory? That's what was happening. Benny talked about the same kind of thing happening in his meetings that people were falling out of their seat. He said he, he talked about having a sword. If he would have had a sword and went through the building, it looked like somebody with a sword went through the building and just chopped people down. They were falling out of their pews, out of their seats under conviction. When the Lord, we're talking about being God aware. When God shows up, you become aware of Him and aware of your own carnality, and it drives you to repentance. You know, the uh, Brownsville revival, bringing up into more current modern history, you go on, and I think we showed this video when we were doing revivals and revivalists, but the kids, you see the, the little children begin to pray and intercede, coming under under a uh, uh, heaviness of intercession to intercede for the lost. There were times in those meetings where they would put microphones. The kids weren't in the main sanctuary. The kids were in the children's ministry area, but God would begin to move in the children, and they'd begin to pray and intercede for the lost. And they'd put a microphone in the middle of the kids and put the sound of that prayer in the sanctuary, and it would cause people to come running to the altar. The power of God and their conviction as they were praying and the people heard it, they'd, they'd be convicted and run to the altar. That's the power of God. That's awakening, becoming God aware. Number four, there, were anointed, there are anointed vessels in God's use in revival. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Say they were all filled. Before the day of Pentecost, Peter was denying that he even knew Jesus. They were all afraid. Before revival, people lose focus on God. Their passions flicker. The power is lost. Worship is just about singing, and prayer life is minimal. But when revival happens, when God pours out His Spirit, all of a sudden the power is present. People become passionate for God again. Worship is the focus. The worshiping God is, is the outflow of what He's doing in our lives. And the preaching of the Word is converting sinners. Lord, do it again. Anointed vessels. Anointed vessels. Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father in Luke 24, 49. In Acts 1, 5, he said, you'll be endued with power from not many days, not many days from now. In Acts 1, 4, he said, wait for the promise of the Father. This was a definitive moment. It was a definitive experience. Jesus said, don't leave. Wait tarry until you have this moment are we willing to tarry are we willing to wait are we willing to travail until this moment happens are you willing 
to wait and to linger and to tarry until he anoints you with power from on high. The power of the Holy Spirit is always connected to reaching the lost. Always connected to reaching the lost. Jesus didn't say to them, you'll receive power to be holy. He didn't say to them, you'll receive power to be a super Christian. You didn't, you're going to receive power to do it. No, he said, you're going to receive power to be my witnesses. The emphasis was on being a witness. The emphasis of the power of the Holy Spirit was to be a witness. Holiness, all of those, any other thing outside of being a witness is a work of God in our heart and is absolutely imperative. But he said you will receive the baptism in the Holy Ghost to be a witness. If you have trouble witnessing, be baptized. If you are shy and timid, be baptized. Did you hear me? If you have a hard time opening your mouth, telling others about Jesus, be baptized. Receive afresh and anew the baptism in the Holy Ghost. He wants to awaken your heart. He wants to fill you with power. When, when the power of heaven comes, you can't help but tell others. When the power of God begins to work in your life, he begins to change you, transform you, and overflow out of you. You can't help but tell others. What is it that the church needs? Power. What does our church need? Power. What do you need? Power. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. It was so emphatic in Jesus' ministry. He said, don't leave Jerusalem until you've received. You need power. This was definitive. It was dynamic. It was overflowing. It was the, it was the, explosion, the explosion of the power of God in their life. Anointed vessels. Anointed vessels. People... What happens in revival is when the people who just say, well, I don't want to go to church and sit for two hours. Or maybe I can't even go to church for an hour. You know, maybe there's somebody, you know, people who say things like that or have a hard time praying. They don't want to intercede. They don't want to worship. I don't want to be in a small group. I don't want to be accountable. I don't want to be, I don't want to be around people. I don't want discipleship. All the, I don't want to, I don't want to. Selling babies. I don't want to. All that happened, you know, y'all know what I'm talking about. It's all, it's you, maybe you're sitting in the room and that's you, that's your story. Maybe I'm bothering you with my preaching this morning. I don't know. I hope I am. God didn't call me to make you comfortable. I don't wanna, I don't wanna, I don't have time. That's another one. I don't have time. I don't have time. I'm too busy. I've got, I've got this. I've got that. All those things. They didn't sing my song. Oh, whatever. Wow, wow, wow. Whatever it is. What happens when the power falls is all that goes out the window. The people who didn't want to be in church all of a sudden are lining up, waiting all day to get into the building. All of a sudden... 
They, they can't leave the altar. They just want to come and worship. They just want to lay in his presence. All of a sudden, worship is no longer, whether it's no longer a performance and how good it sounds. They just want to, they can't help but sing and worship. And it could be absolutely miserable. It doesn't matter. Just worship the Lord. That's, that's awakening. That's revival. Everything changes when he pours out his power. Number five is that there's super mani- supernatural manifestations. There's super manifestations. There's supernatural manifestations. Signs and wonders always accompany the work of God. I can, you know, I can talk days for signs and wonders, things that the Lord has done over the years. I love his, his presence. I love his power. And I love how he accompanies his work with signs and wonders. There's nothing wrong with wanting signs and wonders. You know, you should pray for them. You should ask God to perform signs and wonders. You should. You should. It's his promise. He delights in manifesting his presence. We, we, um, you know, we live in a day that becomes so sensitive to all that. Well, it's just emotional. Look at the day of Pentecost. It came with great emotion. There was some, I mean, they thought they were drunk. That's some emotion, friend. <laughs> they thought they were absolutely intoxicated out of their minds, and Peter prophesied about it. Manifestations will come. In Mark 16, 20, Jesus sent out his disciples. He sent out his disciples, and they went and preached everywhere. The Bible says that the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word through signs and wonders. In Hebrews 2, 4, it says, God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. It was God's will to perform signs and wonders. It was a testimony. It was a testimony. Acts 4, one of the first prayer meetings in the New Testament, their prayer was, Lord, stretch forth your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When's the last time you asked the Lord to do signs and wonders in and through your life? He wants to use you to perform, to work signs and wonders. Amen. Number six, there was, I will. Number six, there was a divine compelling happening. As God pours out his spirit, people are compelled by God. The Bible says here in Acts 2 that the multitudes came together. You know, I, I, I have to tell you, if I, if I saw a group of people that were acting like drunken fools, I probably wouldn't be running to see what they're doing. Is that truth or what? I'd probably be going the other direction. Let's avoid that crowd. <laughs> those, those, we don't know what's going on over there. Let's get away from there. Let's be safe. Let's move away. Right? But the Bible says that the crowds were compelled. They were moved. They were, it was like a magnet. The outpouring of the Spirit of God was like a magnet. People are always worried about, well, speaking in tongues is going to offend the unsaved. Actually, the Bible says it's a sign to the unbeliever. 
And who cares if it offends them anyway? <laughs> Since when are we so concerned about the lost being offended by the gospel? Don't shout me down when I'm telling you the truth. I don't know. I don't, when the power comes, see, the, the problem with this is, is that we, we don't have the, the power and the presence to accompany and it becomes offensive because we're doing religious things. What has happened over, over time is people have seen misuse and abuse of spiritual things because there's no power and presence present. It's emotional hype. I get that. That is wrong. But what we're talking about, Bible, Acts 2, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Acts 2, when there's power and presence and all the things are biblical, who cares if they're offended? God is working in his people and through his people. Don't get mad at me. So, so they were drawn in. The Bible says they were drawn in by the signs and the wonders. They were drawn in by the outpouring of what was happening. And they were marveled and perplexed and amazed. They were asking themselves questions, asking each other, what is this? What does this mean? I remember one time for uh, Heather's birthday, I, I love this story, but for Heather's birthday we had gone out to Jackson Square, which is also known as Devil's Den. Uh, it's interesting because it's right in front of St. Peter's Church, which, you know, all the devils hang out right in front of the church. Anyway, so they, they, the, the fortune tellers, all the, all of the, anything satanic you can think of hangs out right there in the front of the church. And, and so we, de we, we decided for her birthday, we were going to go out to Jackson Square and just love on people and the uh, homeless and such. And it was, it was, it was an interesting, it was a suddenly moment for me. We're walking through the uh, Jackson Square area, everybody's ministering, talking, figuring out game plan and such, and um, I was overwhelmed with the joy of the Lord. I started, I was so intoxicated, I got so drunk. I was laughing, not, I, for those of you who say, drunk on what? The Holy Ghost, that was it. And uh, so intoxicated, so overwhelmed by what was happening. Uh, the Lord and joy and <laughs> joy and more joy and joy and joy and it was just joy and so um, I ended up on the on the on the park bench you know and right there I'm on the I'm you know and that's not an unusual sight in Jackson Square to see drunk people <laughs> it's not unusual but it is unusual to see the power of God come down in Jackson Square it is unusual to see the presence of God like that. And so people began to come around and wonder, what's, is he okay? What's happening? What's going on? What's ha and it began to draw people in. What I thought, I, I had no clue. I didn't care what they said. I had no idea what was happening. And I didn't, it really didn't matter to me what was happening. But as, we're, as that's happening, they begin to minister and preach and pray for people. As the crowd, they, you know, there's no better way than to attract a crowd when you're out doing street ministry than just let the presence of God fall. You, know, the, you don't need a program. Just let the glory come. <laughs> One of the, you want to know how to be a great witness? We, we teach this in, uh, in street ministry, going out and doing street ministry. The best way to be a witness just get drunk. And I'm not talking on alcohol. I'm talking about 
Just get drunk on the Holy Ghost. Just be filled. Just be filled. Be filled. Be saturated. Be being filled. Because once you, once you get out, you, nobody, you don't care. Your inhibitions go away. You ever watch drunk people? They're in it. They, don't have, they don't care. They love everybody. They want, to know, they want to tell everybody everything. They don't care. Be filled with the Spirit. I don't care. I'm just going to tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about His goodness. Let me tell you about His mercy. Let me tell you about His love. You just can't help but overflow. People have a problem with what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, I find the people who have a problem with this are usually the wine bibbers. It's true. Because I'm telling them that they got to change their beverage and they don't want to change their beverage. It's okay. It's okay. Have a drink. Have a drink. You know, it's, it's a great thing when you change your beverage because... I know when you drink of the Holy Ghost, you're good. You, you don't want anything else. All right, come on. Hey. <laughs> it's, a, it's a real thing. You know, I... Uh, so in case you haven't heard me say this before I will give you the opportunity now to hear me preach from Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 that says do not be drunk with wine which leads to debauchery it was a direct reference to the worship of the Greek god Bacchus, thank you. I was like, the Bacchus parade just happened. It was a direct reference to the Bacchus god. It was Paul was teaching this: you're worshiping the god of alcohol. You're worshiping the god of alcohol. Don't do it. But he says exactly. He says, be being. Filled. Don't do that. Be being filled with the Holy Ghost. So if you're going to drink, and we all are going to drink, every single person in this room is going to drink something. Sorry, this is not the Distinguishing Marks sermon. This is a pause for the Be Being Filled sermon. So thank you for just going with me for a second. This is, this is about being filled. <laughs> Everybody in this room is going to drink something. Don't get mad at me. You're going to drink of your own pleasure. Whatever pleasure it is, pick a pleasure, pleasure. You're going to drink a pleasure. And it's either going to be a pleasure in God or it's going to be a pleasure in the world. Plain and simple. It's how it works. It's how it works. You're going to delight yourself in the Lord and he is your pleasure, and then all the things that you do in this life just become an overflow of that pleasure, 
or you're going to drink of the pleasure of this world and it's going to snuff out your pleasure in God. That's how it works. There is no middle ground. That's how it works. So, my encouragement to you is to have a drink of the Holy Spirit. Take a big drink of what was poured out on the day of Pentecost. If you're depressed, have a drink. If you're worried, have a drink. If you want to sin, have a drink. If you just drink, quebrande, sondobra, ni salamake, yiamahatalamo, bronde yasalamase. Just have a drink. And yeah, brande le dice amatake, yamasolomondo brete. Then all of a sudden you have joy flowing in your heart, peace is flowing in your heart depression and anxiety and fear and worry. There's no place for that. And you just keep having a drink. Do you know Jesus? It just flows out. It's that simple. Now some of you are offended at me, I know. I know it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. <laughs> Peter, Peter, let me, let me go back to the distinguishing marks. Peter, <laughs> Peter, these are not drunk as you suppose. <laughs> he stands up, the Bible says that he stands up and he begins to preach. These are not drunk as you suppose. He raised his voice, verse 14. He raised his voice. That word raised his voice is the word for elevated discourse. He began to prophesy from Joel chapter 2. This was a powerful preaching moment. When the power of God falls, there's powerful preaching. People weren't converted because they wanted to get out of hell, and it was heaven seemed like the get out of jail card, or, you know. They, they weren't converted because salvation seemed like an insurance plan for them. They were converted because there was powerful, anointed preaching. There was, they were converted, they were changed because the word of God convicted them because of the preaching. It was powerful. It was spontaneous preaching, in the mo just like the moment was spontaneous. Peter, uh, uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he says in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, that when I came to you, uh, I did not come with eloquence. <laughs> I feel like that this morning. I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. By the way, my, my confidence monitor tells me it's 1128, so I can just keep on going. I got 30 minutes. This is good stuff. We'll just keep rolling. I know it's not, I, I know it's not 1128. Someone got worried. I know what time it is. 
Have a drink. Goodness. I've got two more points. And I'm going to preach each of them for 30 minutes. There you go. When the Lord pours out his spirit, there's abundant blessing. Tell somebody next to you, you need a blessing. He is abundant in his blessing. 3,000 were born again that day. The Lord added to the church daily signs, wonders, miracles. They were selling to possessions. No one had need. There was blessing all around. The blessing and prosperity of the Lord. Blessing on their ministry. Blessing on their homes. Blessing on their resources. Everything they did was blessed and prosperous. And they rejoiced and worshiped God together in it. Wales saw 100,000 people born again in the Welsh revival. Brownsville, 100,000 people. God pours out His Spirit. There's abundant blessing. There's no room enough to contain it. Abundance. And lastly, they, another distinguishing mark, there was divine simplicity. I love the, the church and what was happening in, in Acts 2, 42. It says, and they continued steadfastly. They, everybody say continued steadfastly. <laughs> they were committed. They were committed to this thing. This was, this was the work of God, and they were committed. Are you committed? Are you committed to the work of God? Are you committed to his work? Are you committed to what he's doing? At all costs, they continued in the apostles' doctrine steadfastly in the apostles' teaching. They were continuing daily in the apostles' teaching. How do you do that today? How do you continue steadfastly in the apostles' teaching? Well, you number one, you get yourself to church. Church attendance is a priority for you. When God pours out His Spirit in your life, you, there's no question. I've, I've tasted of something divinely real. There is no question in my mind whether or not I go to church. You say, well, pastor, you're the pastor. <laughs> I know, and if anybody has the choice to not go, it would be me. <laughs> you know, all these people say, well, I'm offended. I'm going to another church. Well, I'll join you. See you. Bye. I'll follow you. I know you're mad at me. I'll follow you right on out the door. I'll go with you. How's that? I'll introduce you to the pastor. I probably know him. None of that is ever a consideration. Because I've tasted of something divine. Even when I don't want to be in church. And let me tell you, there have been days. I say, Lord, it ain't nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with you. I'm in church not because of who's in the pews, although I love y'all. I'm in church because of him. And a blessing is I get to see you too. And we get to worship together too. And we get to serve together too. Isn't it awesome? Continue steadfastly in the apostles' teaching. Be in church. Jesus was a churchgoer. 
He went to church. Jesus went to church. You should go to church too. I know. You say, well, pastor, I'm here. Good for you. I'll see you next Sunday. I'll see you tonight. Hey, newsflash, we also have Wednesday nights too. <laughs> we have Next Step series and a Saturate night. I am here every time the doors are open. Why? Because I know I'm going to get something from Jesus when I'm here, and I get to bless people when I'm here. I get to worship when I'm here. I get to pray when I'm here. Corporately, I can do all that on my own, but there's something about doing it together, continuing, <coughs> continuing steadfastly in the apostles. You know the other thing? Let me just keep going here. Um, <clears throat> it, the, the word devoted themselves in the apostles' teaching and fellowship, breaking bread, all came upon them. The word there, it's, this is an interesting word choice in the Greek. It means to be preserved in. When they devoted themselves, it means to be preserved in. They were, why, why, any canners in the room? People like to can. You preserve things in a can to keep it right. You put it in a can, what, to keep it fresh so a year from now you can pull it out and the things that would have decayed in a day or two all of a sudden are still preserved. God wants to preserve you, keep you for use, to keep you from spoiling. Have you ever smelled spoiled stuff? It is not B.O. you smell. Maybe the person sitting next to you has spoiled. <laughs> this is an equal opportunity sermon where you will be offended today by something. If you find yourself turning green around the edges, maybe you need to be preserved in, kept useful for by the apostles' teaching. I don't get up here to hear myself talk. I'm trying to give you the word to see you changed and kept from spoiling. You have a purpose, you have a calling, you have a plan from God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they, they preserve themselves in the apostles' teaching. Just put yourself in that vinegar, baby. You'll, it'll do yourself some good. Put yourself in the apostles' teaching. Get in the Word. Services, podcasts, small groups. You got it. Okay. And the fellowship. Everybody say fellowship. fellowship. Koinonia in partnership. This wasn't haphazard. Their, their preservation in fellowship was not haphazard. This was intentional. When God pours out his spirit you, to maintain what he's doing is intentional. It is partnership. Part, the word koinonia is like a marriage, partnered together. You have to be partnered together. You and I, in this house, are partnered together. 
Amen. Good preaching, Pastor. I thought so. I'll encourage myself with the one. You are my partner. We are partnered together. We have fellowship together. What you do, what you say, where you go, how you live affects me. That's why I segue off of my messages and preach, be being filled, because your drinking affects me. Your carnality affects this house. Your worship affects this house. Your service affects this house. Your giving affects this house. Come on, don't shout me down. Everything that you do or you don't do, your attendant, we are a body. You may feel like a pinky toe. You may think you are the mouthpiece. Wherever you fit in this body, we are a body. See, just have a drink. It's okay. Just have a drink. Right? We are a body. We're partnered together. And so what, what was described in the New Testament church was that they were a body. They were partnered together. They were in fellowship together. And they, they had communion together every day. They had communion together every day. We do it once a month in church, but you, your small groups, your homes, your fellowship, have communion together. Appropriate the promises of communion for your life. And awe, everybody say awe. awe. Fear, wonder came upon all the people. They were in wonder, they were in awe, they were in amazement. The, the, when God shows up, look what God's doing, look how he's moving, and it just becomes a sense of, and then, you're, then being together in these uh, home groups and fellowshipping together, it just uh, it becomes exponential momentum with what the Lord is doing. Everybody's talking about it, sharing about it, living it together, doing what God's doing, and, and being in fellowship together, and it builds momentum. It, it builds koinonia and partnership and overflow. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They took care of each other. They took care of each other. They took care of each other. They knew what the needs were and took care of one another. Mm. I heard that, yeah, just like here. Mm-hmm. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. That's the work of God. That's the work of God, to, to be in a place of humility and love and gratitude towards one another and what God's doing. That's the simplicity. That's, that's an earmark of a work of God is that we operate together with glad and generous hearts. We have joy-filled, generous, thankful, simple, all wonder-filled hearts. 
what it does is it puts you in a posture where you say, and this is, the, again, it's the work of God, supernatural mark of God on an on a outpouring, a work of God. It puts you in a place of humility where you no longer are the cause or the source of whatever it is that's happening or that it's all about you, right? All those are, that's fleshy. That's you need a drink kind of stuff. That's gross, <laughs> right? But when God shows up and you're, and you're moving with the Spirit, together. All of a sudden, you're in a place of humility. I get to be a part of this. Look what God's doing. I get to be a part of it. He's chosen me to be a part. How can I sow? How can I give? How can I serve? How can I continue to be a part? He's given me the opportunity. How can I be a part of it? How can I plug into this? How can I continue on in fellowship? How can I continue to partner? There's no room for division in that. All of a sudden, you, that, there's no room in your heart for offense when you live like that. Yeah. Glad and generous hearts create no room for offense. Because all of a sudden, I'm happy to be engaged. Yeah. I'm happy to be a part. Bitterness sets in when it becomes all about you. Fast forward in Acts 6, you see the story. That's what happened. Bitterness and offense started to happen when they weren't staying in the glad and generous hearts when they started complaining it's a true story they were complaining because they weren't getting fed i'll let that sit for a minute they were complaining because they weren't getting fed and the and issues started to come up that's where deacons came in they had to have helps ministries help squash and deal with the offenses in in serving. But glad and generous hearts make no room for offense. Hallelujah. The distinguishing marks of the work of God. The Lord's doing great things in our church. I love the I love the stories. I love hearing all that God's doing. I love seeing it. And I believe wholeheartedly he wants to move from brooding to exploding. I believe that he's stirring hearts of people to prepare themselves to break up the fallow ground, to be people of prayer, to be people who are watchmen on the wall, praying and interceding praying the plans and the purposes of God. I believe that he's moved our, our, the, our pastoral team, our leadership teams, our, our board, our elders, our, all of the teams, our, our serve teams, all of the things, all of the people that are in place. And, and God's still, he's growing those areas, but I believe every person, every one of those, he's put into the right place, into the right order for this time, for this season. believe that I know that that's I'm that is a just as sure as I'm standing here I'm I I it is that real when I see in our our serve team rallies I, I love our morning serve team rallies on Sundays just to see the excitement and the joy of people who want to serve the Lord with gladness in his house I love it 
That energizes me to see that. that I have the, that's the glad and generous heart in me. I see that. I'm like, ooh, look at this. God is at work. God's doing something. That's supernatural. That's supernatural. When I see people come and pray and intercede in our prayer, pre-service prayer times or coming to Healing University to walk out healing or the healing rooms or all the things... The small groups, I hear the small group testimonies of people who are in small groups and what's happening in our small groups and our home groups and all the things. I love it because I see the work of God happening. I see Acts 2. I see the pieces lining up. I see the puzzle pieces lining up. I see what God, what we just looked at this morning, I see God moving it together. You're a part You're a part of it. You're a part of it. You're a part of it. So what's keeping us from just jumping all in? So what's keeping you from jumping all in and saying, Lord, I want Acts chapter 2 in the Great Lakes. Lord, we were known, this area was known as the second Azusa. Lord, do it again. Do it again. Do it again, Lord. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Do it again, Lord. Do it again, Lord. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. Jesus. As you did on the day of Pentecost, you're still baptizing people with the Holy Ghost and fire. You're still fulfilling your heavenly ministry, Lord. So this morning, would you do it again? Lord, would you baptize people this morning afresh and anew in the Holy Ghost and fire? Lord, if there's those in this room that have not received, Lord, they've not had that, they've not received that wonderful prayer language, Lord, would today be the day? Lord, would today be the day that you'd fill them, that you'd that you would baptize them in the Holy Ghost and fire. Lord, those that have been filled before, that, Lord, maybe, maybe their, their fire isn't quite where it should be. Maybe they need a, the refill on power today. Lord, would you come and do it again today? Lord, that we keep drinking, keep filling, keep, keep, keep being filled. Here's, here's, here's what we're going to do. You know, it's funny how the Lord changes things. Here's what we're going to do. If you, ha- if you have not received the baptism in the Holy Spirit and you want to, that's the catch, you want to. Okay, You might be here and haven't received, but don't want to. But if you want to, you want to be baptized, that's, the, that's, the, that's how you receive. You have to ask, seek, and knock. That's what Jesus said. Ask, you'll find. Or ask, ask will be given, seek, find, knock, the door will be open. 
So that's the, that's it. If you've not received, come on down. We want to pray for you. Don't, don't wait. Come on. You come. Come on. You need to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Come on. You could just, if that's you, just come over to this side, my left, your right. That's how we'll do this. If you need to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, come on. For the first time, come over here. Just so I know how we're praying for folks. But if you have received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and this, by the way, is a yes before I ever ask it. <laughs> if you have received the baptism in the Holy Spirit and you need a fresh baptism, come on down. And the word is yes. The, the word is yes. Okay, come on down. We're going to pray for folks. Just give me a second, Pastor Grace. Just Y'all can play, but just give me a second before you start singing. Come on, come on, because we're going to do this. I know people have experienced this in a lot of different ways, and it's very simple. Okay, this is very, very simple. You're going to receive today. Come on, come on, come on. Come on, you need to receive, be filled, be filled again. Be filled the first time. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, come on. Come receive. Now why? Now I'm going to say this in love. Why would you not come? I don't know. The Lord wants to fill you. He wants you to be saturated. So make your way at some point to the front. The Lord wants you to be saturated. Okay? Now for those of you who are down here, the Lord wants you to be filled more than you want to be filled or refilled. He wants you to be filled more than you want to be filled. It's His gift. So it's very, very simple. The biblical example, we have a couple of examples. I'm going to come up here so you can see. Is that we see while there was preaching, people were filled we see that while they were praying, people were filled. And we see that while they were laying hands on people, they were filled. So we're going to follow biblical precedents. We've been preaching, we're going to pray, and we're going to lay hands. It's that simple. Your job is to receive. You're just going to worship and receive. The reason I'm giving this is because a lot of people have been taught a lot of weird stuff about receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is a gift just like salvation. All you have to do is receive it by faith. The Holy Spirit gives you the utterance, is what Acts 2 says. That word utterance means ability. He gives you the ability to speak in tongues. He gave them the ability. In other words, it's a deposit by faith that happens in your inner man, and it is expressed with your mouth. God gives you a gift, and you open up your mouth. It's that simple. Just like he's given me his word. His word, he's, I've hid his word in my heart, right? And out of the abundance of the heart, my mouth speaks. His word is in my heart, I speak his word. The same thing is with the Holy Spirit. He gives you the gift, the ability, and you speak with your mouth. You have to do the speaking. He's the gift giver, you're the talker, you're the speaker. You're the mouthpiece. 
It may start out real simple as just a couple of syllables. It may sound absolutely silly and ludicrous to you. Good. It actually is to offend your natural mind. So when your natural mind hears it, it's going to say, your natural brain will say things like, you're silly, don't do it, keep your mouth shut, you don't want to do that, all those things. That's totally normal. But you're going to bypass your brain and go back to the gift. You tell your brain, brain, be quiet, I'm going back to the gift. And the Holy Spirit has given me a gift right now that requires me to speak with my mouth. So I'm going to listen here, not here. I'm going to listen in my gut, the Holy Ghost. Out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. I'm going to listen here, not my head. And I'm going to speak with my mouth. Simple, huh? So I'm going to lay hands on you. You're going to receive. That's how this works. The Holy Spirit's not me. It's it's the Lord. But I'm going to lay hands on you, and he's going to do the baptizing. Okay? You ready? All right, let's do this. Jesus. And then if I can just have my prayer team come over here and help us pray for folks, that would be great. Jesus. And can you just sing in the spirit for a while? Yeah, 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 ye